City on the Edge. 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 Look, you don't like this annoying thing we do at the beginning. Send us a theme song or something that you record. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. We'll take submissions. We can use that. Um, Welcome. Yeah, hi. Welcome back to City on the Edge, the podcast where we tell Albuquerque stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am Ty Bannerman. With me is... Mike Smith. And... Nora Hickey. Nora Hickey. And this week we are going to be tackling one of the big Albuquerque history subjects. Probably one of the biggest. If you look into Albuquerque history at all, you will have undoubtedly uncovered uh, mentions, references, uh, payons, and... um, Mm -hmm. Lamentations. Lamentations. You may have seen a mural downtown about the people in the 70s tearing down everything, and it mentions the Alvarado. The Alvarado... Hotel. Yeah. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, but first, we, uh, we have some Albuquerque news to share. Things. So um, let's see. Why don't we start with uh, Nora? Do you have any Albuquerque news? Um, well, Mike brought it up, but it's one of the ordinances that I was reading about. Which one? It's about panhandling in st- intersections and on streets. Basically, they're saying you can't ask for money or gather or give traffic or give people money or give people high fives. High fives, yeah. (laughs) You can't interact, right? You can't interact. So, by way of context, Albuquerque, of course, has a fair homeless population, a fair number of homeless living in our city, and I don't know if it's what what it's like proportionate to other cities of its size, if it's unusually high or anything like that. But it does seem like there are a lot of people Mm -hmm. standing at the intersections um, asking for change. And people don't like that. So I'm afraid of the people because they look like they don't have homes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared. I feel like the the argument that they're hammering is... It's unsafe. You could hit someone. Oh, but I feel like it's faith. a thin disguise. Bad faith. It yeah. does seem a little bad faith. And you, How often faith. have people been hit by cars while they're begging for change? Right, like, in that situation. Yeah. The worst people on the planet with gun stickers on their cars are like, I'm so concerned about the safety of homeless people. Like, what if they got hit by a car? They don't care about that That's at all. That's a really all. good point, yeah. You know, they just don't. It's so, like, it's so disingenuous. Like, ah, oh, man. So what does the ordinance say? Says, uh, basically, uh, homeless people aren't humans. They don't deserve <laughs> to be able. Well, they stand wrote around. that right there. Huh? Yeah. They, <laughs> they, so well, I guess old. the honesty is refreshing. They just get out of sight. We don't care what happens to you. I mean, it, you know what makes me so mad is it doesn't address any of the things that are causing right. the situation. It doesn't help homeless right uh, homelessness be less of a thing in Albuquerque. It doesn't help those individuals that are out there. What is the um, the what punishment, the, or what happens if you get caught either giving money in a car or? Yeah, what are what are know, the rules? First the, of all, like, I know that it could be fines and so on. They're like you can't you can't stand within so many feet. I didn't see anything of a, about specific of a road uh, amounts in this piece, but maybe they're still hammering that out. Who knows? But hmm. but um, I do know that it doesn't seem to have changed anything. When I drive around, it's, it, people are still out. Well, it was places. passed by city council. I assume that it, it has right. to uh, go through some other processes yeah. before it becomes mm-hmm. like something uh, that they're enforcing. And no, nothing makes people look more stunted to me than when they have no compassion for people that have nothing. I just see those people and I think, like, how did you get to be adults and be <laughs> so selfish? You know? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. seriously, like, the, the, I think... This is my personal opinion, but I think the more people really believe in free will, the bigger jerks they are. Like, I see these people, and they're all just like, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. And, like, these people made a choice. They made a choice to be homeless. Really? Do you make a choice to be alcoholic and, like, abused as a kid and pushed out on the street and failed by the system over and over and over again? Right, right. You, know? you should go to a city council meeting. Uh, I, anytime I go, it's, about I, it. it doesn't go well. But, <laughs> like, yeah, it makes me so angry. You know, I've, I've written letters to the editors and yeah. letters to the mayor and stuff before but it just it like makes me so mad and now like over the last couple years I've been seeing homeless families yeah and yeah. that is it's hard you know that's all on this Republican mayor and bad bad governance in the state 
Yeah, do you think but, it's all on uh, Bear Barry? Well, not all, but you know, let's give him some of the credit. I I yeah. feel like yeah. if I can make a brief statement um, that's not a, a caustic condemnation of Mayor Barry. <laughs> I think those signs that were put up. No, in, that's a good move. Yeah, that's where they say if you are in need of mm-hmm. help, call this number. Yeah, I feel like that's a superhumanizing thing. You know, it's like yeah. recognizing mm-hmm. that there is a problem and right. that the person who is. Uh, standing by the road is someone right. who might need help and right. you know has agency, and I feel like this ordinance yeah. is much more like this is just your classic like super punitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, don't talk to the people right. by the side of the road, and you know even even I believe it's worded so that even interacting with them is a crime itself. Oh. You know, which that's insane. That's, right? Like, wow. Come for me. Come for me if you guys <laughs> if you want Shaila. Yeah, I'm gonna keep doing whatever I want on that note. Like that's ridiculous. Oh, you can't help someone that's hungry by the side of the road. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Do you think it has a chance uh, to not get enacted with the new mayor? And if the ACLU is against it, I read and well, a- the ACLU stopped another one, right? Yeah, a previous yeah. Uh, anti-panhandling ordinance yeah. was um, was overturned, I believe, by the well higher ups of some kind i'm not sure if it was the mm. state supreme court or what but yeah, okay. it was found unconstitutional because like literally it's free speech to ask people for money and uh, yeah. you know it's your choice whether or not to give it to them mm. if somebody's harassing you then that's against the law or yeah. if they you know steal from you or something sure right right um anyway Okay. So, Be yeah. nice, Albuquerque. Yeah. Have a heart. Now, in a, a different uh, kind of horribleness, uh, you had another story that I thought was kind of crazy, oh. Mike. So what's what's going on in Albuquerque news, Mike? Man, well, I saw that someone's been poisoning crows, <laughs> which I, I find horrible. That crows, is horrible. And crows are really intelligent birds. I'm, I'm a big fan of... Okay, so what are the circumstances here with this crow murdering? So, uh, Broadbent Parkway near Manal Friday, several crows, one clearly with something wrong, another on the brink of death, and a third that was gone. Somebody probably put poison out for pigeons, and then the crows got to them. That's why it's illegal to poison pigeons in Albuquerque. Why would you poison yeah. pigeons? Also, yeah, come on, cut it out. I can't handle animals that weren't invited on my property or something, whatever. Well, one thing I've noticed about pigeons is <laughs> if you don't feed them, they don't have a food source, they tend not to oh, yeah. come. Oh, really? The only places I've ever been to that had a pigeon problem were, yeah. were places where people were actively feeding the pigeons. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, I know it's frustrating if birds keep roosting wherever and, like, destroying your car. But, um, you know, that, that's frustrating. But, but uh, come on. Yeah. yeah. This is crows are federally protected. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I had no idea. You're so smart. Have you ever seen that video of a crow sliding on a cottage cheese lid down this icy <laughs> roof and then he just flies back up with it and does it over and over again? Oh. That's so smart. Or the way they use tools, like putting pebbles in a bottle of water so they can get water from the top. I mean, they're or, so intelligent. Yeah. Or they'll use like sticks and stuff to accomplish their goals. I mean, they're really smart and fun loving. Yeah. They're interesting. And they even recognize faces. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so a commenter Pino Boy on this article has a theory. Street vagrant must have dropped his bag of meth while trying to sign up for state assistance. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of person So maybe I was by about getting earlier. rid of the panhandling, oh. we'll also I'd we'll save get rid the, of crows. the mean YouTube <laughs> commenter. That's what I want to get rid of. The mean news site God, commenter. Don't read comments on any of the articles. I know. I, I couldn't guess. help it. I, just, I, no, I want to move when I'm, I read those comments. I'm surprised that they would even show up on the they are crows so, are dying article. Of course they would. They show up wherever. And if when, they can when Ty and I got arrested, for walking around in a building and they called it copper theft or whatever, some commenter was like, we need to Guantanamo Bay them and clip electrodes wow. to them and shock them. And yeah, that's like, right. what, It was nice. It was I didn't know you guys as well back then. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were so nice. Oh, wait, Sorry. did you? Oh, man. You wrote the comment? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Come you on, know, the lo- the, it's like there's such a vengeful streak that runs no, through know. some people here. I don't understand it. Like. I What's think it's deal? most places online. Anyway, well, what are we talking about here? We're talking about some. We're talking about old, the Alvarado, old thing. Yeah, some uh, old thing. Oh, the Alvarado yeah. Hotel, <laughs> yeah. Harvey House, yeah. um, the premier hotel of Albuquerque in 1910 or so, mm-hmm. uh, located formerly at at Central and First Street, um, now a space occupied by the Transportation Center. 
also yeah. called the Alvarado Transportation Center, and, and modeled after the building. It kind of looks um, like But there was, a, what, like a 30-year period where that, uh, between the Alvarado's existence, mm-hmm. its demolition, and the new Alvarado Transportation Center, yeah. where it was just a parking lot for, for, for uh, several decades there. Oh. So this is kind of a, um, I like what you said, a lamentation. <laughs> I can't, after reading about it more, I can't believe it was... Right. Destroyed. What a shame. And um, it was actually designed by the architect uh, Charles Whittlesey, who we discussed in our press club episode. Uh, That was his house at the press club. Um, And he is the architect who designed it. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's go on to that. In 1906, Albuquerque, New Mexico, which had always been a crossroads, a community along east, west, north, and south routes, became a destination. Well, it had always been a sort of destination for those who wished to sell wool at the market, for the Spanish villagers who came into town on the weekends to sell their wares, attend church, or celebrate important days, for soldiers who manned the outpost for the new American government, and for those who came to let the sunny, dry weather fight their sicknesses at one of the city's numerous clinics and sanatoriums. But now, with the construction of the Alvarado Hotel, it became a destination in and of itself for those who had no greater goal in mind than simply to see Albuquerque and the land surrounding it. And what a destination it was. The Alvarado was a mission-style pendant upon the Fred Harvey necklace of railroad hotels, a sprawling palatial grandiosity, and a clarion call to eastern tourists. Come to Albuquerque and experience the wild southwest on your terms, in a fortress of gentility where everyone speaks English. It was, in short, the promise of all tourism. Go somewhere new and different, but never too far out of your comfort zone. New Mexico was a territory then, and still a half-decade from becoming a state, The majority language was Spanish. The coexisting cultures and its high desert environment were a multitude unseen in the USA since the Texas Revolution and unknown to Easterners since before the United States became a country itself. It must have seemed like an untamed land to the white Easterners who boarded the trains and headed west, and the Alvarado a welcoming tower to view it from. Charles Whittlesey, one of Fred Harvey's stable of jobbing architects, designed the Alvarado in accordance with his assumptions of a Western and Spanish outlook. But his assumptions were wrong. In no way did the crenellated porticos and tiled roofs reflect the actual style endemic to the area, that of the rounded adobe walls and flat roofs of both native and Spanish colonists. But that didn't matter. The Harvey Company wasn't selling the actual Southwest. It was selling the idea of the Southwest, and the Spanish mission style of California did just fine. Whittlesey handled the exterior, Mary Coulter the interior. If Whittlesey's job was to sell the idea of a safe exoticism, then Coulter's job was to create an exoticism that could be sold. She lent her expertise to the famous Indian room, where native artisans created and crafted for the purposes of giving the Eastern visitor a taste of the cultures of the area, but also rendering that same culture accessible via the great capitalistic leveler, commodification. Here in the Indian room, Navajo rugs weren't just for sale, they were created with the tourist in mind. The artifacts available were separated from cultural and spiritual meaning and became items of barter, curios to take home and display upon the mantle, to remind oneself and show off to others a souvenir of one's great adventure in the Indian lands, even if one had never left the hotel. Coulter did it well, designing a Spanish room to go along with the Indian, and then moving up the ladder of the Harvey Company to become an architect herself, designer of the famed Bright Angel Lodge at Grand Canyon. At the Alvarado, the dining room was the centerpiece of the complex. No surprise, as the Harvey Company began its trajectory upwards on the back of its food services. The travelers stepped off the train and into a massive hall with dark wood accents and the scent of rose petals on the air. The gentle sound of conversation and clattering plates mingled into a buzz of travel and rest. Everyone here was from somewhere else. The diners, the chefs, the army of white-aproned Harvey girls bringing platter upon platter of savory fare to the hungry wanderer. 
Jackie Coogan, Charlie Chaplin, Theodore Roosevelt, William Howard Taft, Conrad Hilton, Eva Gabor, Mary Pickford, Greta Garbo, William Carnegie, every famous person of the era that you can think of came through on the trains, ate their meals at the restaurant, stayed the night, a week, a month in the Alvarado's gilded rooms. Charlie Chaplin's frequent director, Max Sennett, even made a silent comedy short at the Harvey House, titled appropriately enough, The Tourists. In it, a lithe young Easterner, played by Chaplin's foil, Mabel Normand, makes a stop in Albuquerque, flirts with a, quote, Indian chief, and falls afoul of his jealous wife. The story ends with Normand being chased from town by a horde of, quote, Indian suffragettes on the warpath. She escapes, of course, whisked away from the clash of cultures and all the trouble she's caused by the train. The natives stay behind. If those days were the heights of the Alvarado's existence, then the Montezuma Ball was its summit, an annual event timed to coincide with the territorial fair until 1912, when the fair and New Mexico both became states together. The ball began with a wheeling demonstration of Navajo horseback riders kicking up dust in front of the Alvarado. A parade followed, headed by a float where Montezuma himself, a bit farther north than his historical stomping grounds, swooped upon a giant eagle. Why Montezuma in Albuquerque? Perhaps the same answer as to the question of why a California mission-style architecture graced an Albuquerque hotel. One exoticism stands in for another easily enough. And then the premier event of Albuquerque's social calendar, the dance, the food, the gowns, and the costumes. And yet it faded as surely as the nitrate film stock of the tourists. The balls, the movie stars, the destination itself, all retreated as the train was replaced by the automobile and then the airplane. And the tourists came for good now, no longer content to simply observe the cultures, but now with an inclination to dominate them. Downtowns all over the country were slowly abandoned after World War II, and Albuquerque's was no different. In the 60s and 70s, hotels spread out east and west along Route 66 to follow the cars, then bypassed downtown altogether with the birth of the interstate system. The Alvarado fell into disrepair, and anyway, it fit nobody's idea of what the Southwest in New Mexico was anymore. In 1970, the death knell came. Although a vocal group of citizens opposed it, the ATNSF Railroad deemed the Alvarado a relic of a bygone age and sent the wrecking ball careening into its poured concrete walls. The railroad demolished the building that Harvey, Whittlesey, and Calder had built for them. Many weeped, but not all. As Albuquerque architect Robert Walters wrote in a 1970s Albuquerque journal, People's Column, the Alvarado never was of any outstanding architectural or historical significance. Perhaps Robert was more pleased by the parking lot that replaced it. Perhaps it was a better emblem of what Albuquerque in the Southwest had become in the eyes of its colonizers. A place to park a car, a place like any other. So in my experience, there is no building that has been demolished in Albuquerque that occupies as much um, kind of emotional real estate in this city. Mm-hmm. A lot people of people are sad. still talk about it. Yeah. Do you it's, think uh, that raising? Do you think that you know younger people are aware of it, or is it kind of leaving the city's consciousness? As I don't think younger people are aware of it at first, but anybody who takes like the first steps into like looking into Albuquerque mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. Once they get beyond, you know, the plaques in Old Town or whatever, yeah. uh, the Alvarado looms pretty large. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Why did we tear that down?" Yeah, sounds exactly. amazing. Yeah, it really was cool. And and uh, I mean, I think it's cool that when they rebuilt the bus station down there, that they had it in mind and tried to echo it. That's good. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. so like I said, for about thirty years, it uh, all that was left in that area was. A few um, buildings, the actual, the, the Santa Fe Indian uh, room mm-hmm. became the, um, is still standing, and it was the, uh, the headquarters for the um, ATNSF Railroad, which then became, uh, I think, what is it, Amtrak? I Amtrak think so, Station? Amtrak, yeah. Sure. I'll look into it. Yeah. And correct buses, that. too. Um, yeah. So for 30 years, it was just a parking lot, though, a place you could, you know. Wow stick your car and then go clubbing downtown or whatever once wow. there was actually stuff to happen in downtown again. Uh, 
Oh, that's right. Because, yeah, the 70s were kind of a dark time. All the major movie theaters were triple X theaters. And, <laughs> and, really? Oh, yeah. Like the chemo was. Everything was moving. Was, wow. The, Everything was moving out of the area, all the old shops and everything. Yeah. They were going to the malls. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there wasn't much of a reason to be down there in the 80s, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, so in the... Uh, 2000s, I guess it started in 2002 when they uh, mm-hmm. began putting in the, um, the new Alvarado Transportation Center, uh, designed purposefully to mimic the look of the old buildings, which had been torn down in uh, 1970, um, as a sort of a, as a, sort of a, a bomb, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly much more interesting to look at down there. I, yeah. I, I don't know whether I would say it was entirely successful. It, it hasn't really become a place where people congregate mm-hmm. well it's yeah. except for you know yeah like we said panhandlers and so forth are, are yeah. congregating it's ve- there it's very near a shelter yeah mm-hmm. and predatory businesses that have moved in because of the shelter like the plasma donation place mm-hmm. oh. and uh that's where you get your plasma from apparently homeless people remember that next time you get plasma <laughs> oh no, yeah. And, yeah and college students yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was one. Oh yeah i never did it i was I never did worried it. it would upset some already precarious balance. Okay, so Albuquerque. <laughs> so um, Mike, as a uh, as an Albuquerque historian, um, when did you first encounter the uh, the stories of the Alvarado? I think that I mean, like you said, it's one of the first things that starts coming up once you start to know the area. I I uh, decided I was going to read every book about Albuquerque in the library system at one point and I read Erna Ferguson's book about it. At one point there weren't that many. There were like 30 books in the mm-hmm. system so it was a manageable goal. Um, but uh, I read Erna Ferguson's book and she went on about it in there. Yeah, and it must and have it, still been standing when she was talking oh, about it. Oh, yeah. Because she wrote that in the 40s, right? Right. Albuquerque. That's a good book. Yeah. And uh, you, you're a fan of her, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Erna Ferguson is yeah. a one of the premier historians uh, and, yeah. and writers in mm-hmm. Albuquerque. And she's, I, I, I love yeah. her style. I mean, yeah. she never really, you know, she doesn't delve too yeah. deep into Albuquerque history, but um, I yeah. really enjoy her, her manner of writing. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. She's a, she's a good part of Albuquerque historiography. Yeah. How about you, Nora, as a, as a relative newcomer? When did you first encountering I, stories of the Alvarado? I was thinking of that as I was looking into Mary Coulter more mm-hmm. and the Alvarado. And I had interned at the chemo as some writing intern. Okay. In my nice. third year here. Hmm. And so I got into that yeah. building. But I, that, I, it didn't expand huh. to beyond just down the street, I now realize. Oh, really? Oh, okay. So really this... For this episode, and oh, yeah. Whittlesey was oh, when yeah, I yeah. first started looking into looking it. Looking huh? into it, That's yeah. Cool. So you uh, you went into Mary Coulter. We talked about Whittlesey a couple episodes back yeah. uh, in the Whittlesey house. I feel like we've kind of covered him pretty well, but we didn't really get into Mary Coulter, and it wasn't an oversight. It was more of a desire to give her more of her due. I feel mm-hmm. like she's a pretty fascinating figure. Yeah. Um, so why don't, why don't you uh, kind of, can yeah. you tell us her story, where yeah. she came from, how she got involved? She, her parents um, came over to the States from Ireland okay. and they ended up, and she considers Minneapolis, Minnesota, her hometown. Oh, yeah. okay. So a northerner. Yeah. Um, and your, she. Your area. My area. So region. I feel a little kinship with her, you know, okay. a Midwesterner coming down nice. here, falling in love, et cetera. <laughs> um, anyways, so. Her, she was really confident, strong-headed, and she knew that she really liked art. And when, 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 uh, when was she born? Do you happen she, to know? Yes. She was born 1869. 1869. Yeah. Um, in Mill. Uh, no, she was born in Pittsburgh, but they ah. moved. Um, they actually moved a few places before settling in Minneapolis. Okay. And... Um, Yes, so she wanted to... The family was kind of poor. Her dad mm-hmm. was a sewer inspector, and they had three kids, so Gross she went... Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. A sewer inspector and three kids. That's rough. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> Think about him when you feel bad about yeah. your own life. Okay. Um, so she said, oh, I'll go to art school. I'll get certified to be an art teacher. And this was at 14. So oh. she graduated high school at 14. Wow. Her dad was really against it. But then pretty soon after that, he died. Ah. So he got a stroke 
it was called back then a softness in the brain. Oh, yeah. kind of like that. Oh, I think I have term. I know. I was. Oh. I got nervous. Um, <laughs> but so then her mom reluctantly agreed that to she let could, her go to art school. Yeah. So she could help the family, and so she went to school. I believe it was in the area, and it was a four-year school. And so she became an art teacher. Enjoyed teaching. She taught in Wisconsin one year and then ended up back in Minneapolis. And then, so she's a successful art teacher. She's really interested in lots of different stuff. Archaeology. She is the editor for the book reviews for the local paper. So she's, you know, a woman of many talents. Mm -hmm. And she goes to San Francisco for vacation to visit a friend. And she spent some time with a friend who worked at a Fred Harvey gift shop. And so she was in this Fred Harvey gift shop and talking with the manager there and, you know, talking about, oh, I'm interested in working for Harvey houses and this is what I'm interested in. And nothing came of it then. Okay. And so she goes back to Minneapolis and that summer they're in, she and her family are in a cabin in the, you know, there's a lot of the cabin culture up there, Okay. you know, in the big woods. And she gets a telegram from Fred Harvey Whoa. Yeah. Like she really? must have made a really good impression. Was like Fred Harvey running the register that day or something? It's it's not clear. It says it wasn't, but maybe the manager told Okay. And Fred Harvey about well, her. Wow. Yeah. So Fred Harvey himself yeah. contacted her via telegram. Yeah. And it notes here in this book, and I'm using this book sorry, called Mary Coulter. Um, and mm -hmm. she was surprised at the length of it. It was over a hundred words Ooh. and it was offering her a job. And you're paying by the yeah. word in those days. What kind of job was he offering her right off the bat? I don't know if the, it doesn't say a name for it, but I believe it's the interior decorator oh, okay. of okay. today, basically. Mm. Yeah. Right. So Whittlesey, you know, the architect and mm -hmm. she was hired to make the design. And she was working with Whittlesey. The mm -hmm. architect from the beginning. Yeah. Was that on the Alvarado? That was on the Alvarado. So that was like literally her first that job. That was her first job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And does it say anything about kind of her experience when she was down here or? Yeah. So she really fell in love. And, and I should say there's this anecdote about her. So um, the Sioux Nation is really prominent in the Midwest and in, mm -hmm. you know, modern day Minnesota. And she, as a kid, had Sioux friends, and they had given her these drawings. Um, and so she really treasured them, and there's a story of her mom. So there was an outbreak. I can't remember. I think it was smallpox in the okay. Sioux tribe. And so her mom wanted to burn anything related <laughs> to Native peoples, you know, <sighs> that they had accumulated. And Mary secreted these drawings away wow. because... They meant so much to her. Wow. Okay. She sounds amazing. Yeah. Yes. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Mm. And um, and so she, when she came down here, she was really interested in the landscape, in the, hmm. and particularly in the people who, not the conquerors as much, although she liked right. the Spanish mission mm -hmm. style, uh -huh. but really, like really invested time and energy into understanding um, the art and architecture, particularly mm -hmm. cool. of the different native people. Okay. Yeah. And how did she go from that to becoming one of one of the very few female architects at the time? It sounds like it was a mix of personality, talent, and maybe timing. That mm -hmm. so she did the Alvarado, and she went back to being a school teacher. Mm -hmm. so, oh. so you know this, they weren't like we're we're going to hire you, and mm -hmm. this is a ton of money. Um, but she needed to keep making money for the mm -hmm. family, and then they hired her. I can't remember what the next one was, but she did a ton of. Harvey houses. Yeah, yeah. I know she did a number at the uh, a number of buildings at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like um, you said, the Blue Angel, oh, yeah. Bright Angel, Bright Angel, Bright Angel Lodge. Is El Tovar? Um, did she do this? One? She did not. Whittlesey did El Tovar oh, okay. at the Grand Canyon, oh, okay. and it looks very much like the Whittlesey house that we talked okay. about oh, that's before. Right, yeah. She did Bright Angel Lodge. She did nice. the um, Watchtower. Yes, which is which was pretty a huge amazing. Project. Yeah, it's very. It makes an impact on you when you when you go to see it, um, cool. and then Posada. one called like Hermits Rest. Yeah, Hermits Rest. Hermits Rest. Those are the three that I know about. 
Um, but what do you, what do you know? Other notable examples? La of her Posada work? in um, Arizona. Okay. And then El Navajo and Gallup. Oh yes. Yeah. Which is gone now? I believe El Navajo oh, is it gone. Is? Yeah. Oh. And then she worked on La Fonda hmm. um, in Santa Fe. Okay. Didn't you say your parents have, like, or your mom had a personal story about the Alvarado when she first moved here or something? Yeah, so my mom came out to New Mexico in the late 60s, huh. and she said that stepping off the train and going into uh, Alvarado, which um, was the first thing that you kind of greeted, it all mm-hmm. smelled like rose petals because there were roses mm-hmm. everywhere. Huh. It was, that was kind of a nice, must have been a nice way to... Um, to, to enter yeah. into Albuquerque, yeah. uh, although at the time she was from, she's from Washington D.C. area, oh. and uh, it struck her as very, very desolate and lonely the very first uh, time she came out. But she she grew to love mm-hmm. it, and she moved back here, and she lives here to this day. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Alvarado. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> mm-hmm. we knocked you down. Yeah. So, how long? Like, uh, how long did she did she continue doing uh, doing architecture? Um, close to her, she passed in 1958. Okay. And she worked pretty close to the end of her life, and she was a resident of Santa Fe at yes. the end of her life. Um, and she has a, you know, a quote about um. Let me find it. Sorry. It's about her favorite hotel. It got demolished, and she was like, I'm getting right, too good. old. Oh, it was when La Posada closed. Oh, La Posada. And she said, there's such a thing as living too long. Mm. And that was the year before she died. Wow. Yeah. Did she ever marry or anything no, like that? No, there's nothing about her love life. I was really curious about that because I, I looked into it with a, a little cursory look, and it seems highly unusual for a woman to be both an architect mm-hmm. at that time and then um, also for a woman not to have a family. And when, you know, when right. Did she feel compelled to make that choice? Was she personally not very interested in pursuing right. that? I, I, yeah, I'd like to know more about that, but that's probably one of those stories that's just yeah. lost to time, her right. thoughts on that. <laughs> and by all accounts, she was ambitious and single-minded and kind of difficult. It's kind of a difficult, yeah. And she strong, she, she must have been, right? She rubbed the men. I love this. She rubbed I want to take a show. <laughs> she, rubbed, <laughs> she rubbed the men the wrong way that she worked with cuz she always called them the mm. boys. Like, "Oh, boys." Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently they didn't take well to that. They didn't like that? No. <laughs> Jeez. Well, not to be mean. Well, I know. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. She should be like a, there should be a biopic about her. She sounds really interesting. Yeah. And maybe we can get. Maybe write, write one of your follow up novels can be about, about Mary, Mary Coulter. Coulter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, Mike, did you, uh, were you able to look into kind of the famous guests and so forth of the opera? I did, but it ended up being less interesting than something else oh. that, 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 uh, that I wanted to do. I mean, okay, the famous guests are cool. Yeah. Um, the uh, you you had a the best. I had the list I've seen <laughs> of. I wrote an article that maybe we'll do on the show sometime about Al Capone, and mm. he um, he you know everyone was like, was Al Capone in New Mexico? As in, did he have a secret hideout in the Hamas Mountains with his friend Seth Cedars? Who knows? But uh, Cliffy said he was here, and uh, and he definitely came through on the railroad because there's a photo of him at the. Uh, at the Alvarado train At the Alvarado station. itself. Yeah, everybody came. Really? Yeah, I mean. Oh, I read, yeah, that yeah. Peop, you know, citizens, residents would yeah. wait by the rail, yeah. the rail stop. What's that called? Yeah, yeah, to see celebrities. There's a really cool photo of Einstein. I think it's in the book Historic Photos of Albuquerque of Einstein at the Alvarado waving from the caboose of a train. Uh-huh. Super cool. I mean, you know, these huge historic figures. It's really neat that they ever came through here. Of course, we had a couple of presidents here also. And, yes. Uh, let's see. Uh, what was the okay. All right. Well, anyway, yeah. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt came through, and um, they would often do like the whistle stop type stops where they would stand on the very back, you know, whatever right, person right. was coming through of the caboose, and that would be about it. But uh, and then just for publicity. Um, yeah, just because everyone in town heard this famous person was coming through. Yeah. It was a big deal. Um, and uh, it was supposedly Taft coming through that led to uh, st- statehood later on. Yeah. So that, 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 he, that um, 
you know, he, seeing the place himself and seeing a good reception. He was presented with the blanket and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he received some things. Um, but what I, what is more interesting to me is uh, who was the who was Alvarado? We see that name now all over. Mm. It's it's, right. it's remembered because of uh, because of the train station. I think when you see street names in Albuquerque, mm. they're all named after the train station for the most part. Right. But but um, what who Alvarado actually was was one of Coronado's men, and he was also the the first person to write down a description of the Rio Grande. Basically, one of the first one of the first, uh, in this area, he said. Um, this is uh, Mark Simmons, Albuquerque and Narrative History, greatest local book. Um, from the quill pen of Hernando de Alvarado, that was his name. We have our first description of the land and people along the middle Rio Grande. This river flows through a broad valley planted with fields of maize, he says in a letter to Coronado. There are some cottonwood groves. The houses are of mud, two stories high. The people seem good, more given to farming than war. They have provisions of maize, beans, melons, and turkeys in great abundance. They dress in cotton, buffalo skins, and coats made with feathers from the turkeys. They wear their hair short. The old men are the ones who have the most authority among them. We thought they were witches because they said that they could rise to heaven and other things of the sort. Wow. Oh. So somebody who provided the first, uh, one of the first written descriptions of the area yeah. is named for, is, his name becomes the, yeah. the name of the hotel where many people first have their experience of the region. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of a nice bit of a... However, I have, been re- I have been reading this other book called uh, Great Cruelties Have Been Reported, and it's mostly comprised of court documents uh, investigating um, uh, Coronado's first expedition because there was a book that came out um, I'm trying to remember what this book was, but uh, it was basically the first like attempt at Native American rights in that time, and it was it was on the great cruelties of the Spanish um, on the Coronado expedition and others in part. Mm, okay, and um, and uh, so there was a like an investigation, and the end result was mostly some like legal slaps on the wrist, basically for everybody involved. But there were really horrible atrocities. There was rape. There was theft. There was cruelty. There was, uh, you know, oppression of native peoples. There was two uh, two hundred people were killed. You know, the right. the Battle of Tigüey was no small thing. It, it was probably it should probably be called the Massacre of Tigüey because it was pretty one sided. But um, but Alvarado was one of the worst. And I and it's really stood out to me reading in that book that this guy was sick dogs on anybody. Oh, and, wow. and and uh, I mean that was really it. And then he, he would garret people. You know, hmm. like, I mean, that Jeez. It, he was a really a nasty piece of work and seemed like he had no uh, ethics about hurting Native people when, when he was here. Wow. So it I really think makes you realize, yeah. look into who you yeah. are naming something <laughs> after. That's true. It's true. That's a good idea. So I uncovered a little mystery of the, uh, of the Alvarado that I wanted to share with you guys. Yeah. Um, outside of the Indian building... At the Alvarado Hotel, there is a shield that depicts an eagle man uh, figure. Um, Obviously, native in origin. I'm not totally sure about uh, which particular tradition it comes from, or or if any. But on page 40 of Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories, Uh he has reproduced that exact emblem... What? In his own drawing. What? And there's no description given. There's, it has nothing to do with the story that's written. It's just that particular emblem shows up in Just So Stories. And Weird. I've always wondered, like, did he go through the Alvarado? I've been able to Whoa. find no information about that. Or was it something mm. that he just saw that caught his eye? But you see, there's the eagle man. There's the Weird. diagonal kind of uh, mountain peak sort of design underneath. And if you look at Kipling's, it's, it's all there. With the the rainbow woman over the top, so I was just. I would love to love it if somebody could get back to me and let me know uh, any information they have about Mm -hmm. why he might have um, might have done that. Maybe uh, put it out to remember in Albuquerque when dot 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 on Facebook. (laughs) That feed man, those people are like detectives. Now there's loads of stuff that we didn't talk about tonight, including the Harvey girls, which I feel like at some point we should really devote an episode to them and kind of. uh, their role in Albuquerque, but the, the brief guess. encapsulation is that they were women who came from mostly eastern states, mostly white women, uh, who came to serve at Harvey restaurants, and they abided by a strict code of conduct. They weren't allowed to, like, leave Couldn't the complex. Um, 
Yeah, they couldn't get married while they were serving there, but they could, you know, be courted to some degree, like right. chaperoned and so forth. Right. Uh, so at, at yeah. some point, we're gonna have to talk about them. But um, and which is just another reason why Mary Coulter is so. <sighs> yeah, yeah, you know? she's cool. Exactly. What's that book called that you? Mary uh, Coulter. Who's the, the author? author? Is Mary Coulter. Virginia L. Grattan. Builder upon the red earth. What yeah, is subtitle? Builder upon the red earth. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I'd like to mention a few uh, few books that I right. looked into. I've got uh, Fred right. Harvey, Houses of the Southwest uh, by Richard Melzer. That guy's cool. Um, He's the real deal. Harvey, Houses of New Mexico by Rosa Walston Latimer. Harvey, Houses of New Mexico. Harvey, cool. Houses of New Mexico. So we're trying out a new feature with this episode. We're going to be talking to different local Albuquerque bands and Albuquerque-based bands about what their Albuquerque experience has been like and how living in this city has influenced their music. So for our very first band, we're going to be talking to Chichara, and we are speaking to Marisa DeMarco and Mauro Woody. So we are joined today by two members of the Albuquerque band Chichara. Oh my gosh. Uh, Mauro. <laughs> gosh himself is here. Uh, we have Mauro Woody and Marisa DeMarco. Hi. Thank you guys so much for Woo. being here. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. And I understand uh, you guys have a new album coming out sometime soon. We do. Yeah, we have. Uh, we actually wrote and recorded the album last year. And then just kind of spent the year thinking into making videos and other things and working with our label, which we just joined Matron Records up in Santa Fe. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, we, it's, been, it's been done for a while, but we're finally releasing it on November 24th. November 24th. Oh, that's actually Thanksgiving. sooner yeah. than I realized. Yeah, I it's, it was it, December, yeah. but oh, okay. It's, yeah, it's uh, next Friday, a week from today. We're going to have it at Launchpad. That's nice. Right. Check your calendars. Hopefully you haven't missed it yet uh, when you hear this. I keep, I keep doing these uh. weirdo promo videos for it. <laughs> it's so good. I'm not going to stop. And if They're you just... miss it, see Chichara sometime. Okay, so what well, are we... Well, if uh, you miss uh, it, you yeah. can still purchase it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's not available so, for like an hour that day. Yeah, but you you really want to see it yeah. next week because it's going to be a big party. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. And this we've album. been gearing up for it. Like Marisa was saying, we worked on it last year, but we've been working really hard on promo. We've made these really bomb music videos. Oh, and they're amazing. Member, they're so good. Curate, it's brain or brain children, basically. Yeah. They're really, high and performance. They're, so, they're beautiful. They're so yeah. amazing. Let's take a moment here and uh, why don't you guys... Tell us a little bit about yourselves and what role you play in the band. So, Marisa, why don't we start with you? Sure. So, um, I'm Marisa DeMarco, and I'm one of the three bassist singers in the band. So, the band is <laughs> a band of three basses who are also singing, and then also two drummers. Um, and that's the instrumentation of the project. And my sister, Monica DeMarco, who's not here tonight, is the other bassist singer. So, the, the third bassist. Quality. Um, so how long has uh, Chichara been a band together? Oof. I feel like it's been a while. We have we had a debate about that. <laughs> we uh-huh. did. Monica or other Gosh, bases. I really don't remember if it's four years. It's 2013 was our first show. Okay, four years. It's four been, years. It's been four years. <laughs> we have this notion at the beginning. I had this yeah. notion that we were going to have these giant bug heads on that we were going to wear for every oh, show. Yeah. Good in theory. And oh, so yeah. we made these big... Things they were elaborate, wear on our head. too. They, they got, were really big. They got they were you, they were you made of like show chicken. Them. We did. They yeah. were made of like chicken wire <laughs> and like band. No, what is that? Gauze. They were made out of I gauze, chicken wire, and other wire too. And then we Some had also made wire. these like um, 
like shiny oh, yeah. <laughs> we got shiny fabric. fabric. We wow. got shiny fabric that we wrapped around ourselves. The photos are so bizarre. We do oh. not look like bugs. We, so, we no, I mean it's really the only one that was committed un- to wearing them was Monica and yeah. she got mad at us because we're used to it. we couldn't see. So these photos <laughs> exist somewhere? They, I've they seen them. Too. I was I've seen these shows. Man. So so what happened was we took the stage and it was hot and we couldn't see uh-huh. our bases <laughs> and it was all going wrong. And so like I think I jumped ship first. It was like so whatever, funny. I take it off. And Mara took hers off, but since Monica couldn't see that we hadn't taken ours off, she was just in it to win it for several more songs. She, she just gave us this glare of, like, They're very important to me, but I, I feel like there's a little uh, explanation in order here. Yeah. What is a chichara, first of all? It's a cicada. Okay. And um, everybody hates the, uh, the question, why did you choose that name? Mara came up with the name. Um, I did. We were you, we were working into themes that like so we have this heavy sound and we were working into themes of like natural massivity, which we still are is still like the thread yeah. between both of the albums. So like mm-hmm. in if you're thinking of something that is really massive, you know, you, you can think of like the ocean or like a mountain or a mudslide or right. a crazy storm. Natural organic things that are that are really, really big, and that's always been huh. like the the source of wow. our. Um, I can hear that of our work, huh. and so uh, we were looking into like insect names, huh. and uh, Monica really liked pupa, um, <laughs> which she still she still contends is a pretty great name for something. Yeah, it is. Sorry, um, something. Yeah, yeah. I don't and, mind. Then, and then Maro uh, mentioned chichara, which is cool because. Um, Obviously, because cicadas make beautiful sound, and they're here in New Mexico mm-hmm. as well as elsewhere in the country. Yeah. Um, but also, the word can be interpreted as um, slang to mean like sound that you can't control in your environment, oh. um, or also like gossips, hmm. like okay. gossipy. And I think generally, like gossipy women or like women who talk too much. So it has this <laughs> kind of nuanced Interesting. layer. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't aware of all of those. Man. But I like all of them. But I like certainly. that too. It was like a happy, like by chance, that it meant all those things. Which, when I've, uh, when I, I grew up on the West Side, when I was a little kid until I was ten, I grew up in the barrio, the West Side of Albuquerque, and I remember when I was really little, my mom would be like, "You hear that sound? Hear that? It's the chicharas." And yeah. I just remember when someone said cicadas, I was like, "What is a cicada?" Yeah. And then I was just thinking about all the words we were all throwing out to each other, and I was, yeah, it just kind of just huh. happened, and it fits us name. really well. Mm-hmm. All of the textures and the things we're creating, and also like perceptions of what sound is for oh. people. So what a band! You know, we're we're a, a podcast about Albuquerque stories. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, so I wonder. Do you feel like the, the music that you guys produce, is it is it uh, in any way kind of reflective of Albuquerque as an environment besides the name? Absolutely. Like, I think pretty much, um, you know, unintentionally for a long time, I think all of my work was just really heavily influenced by the fact that I've lived here my whole life. And there just is a certain sound environment that you're immersed in here and a visual mm. environment that you're immersed in that is very different than elsewhere in the country. And whether you mean it to or not, I think it will have an impact on your work unless you're like actively trying to counteract it. I feel like there's another uh, style of thinking around music where uh, folks can be here but really trying to sound like something else. Like they're trying to sound like they're in New York or they're trying Mm. really, you know what I mean? Um, Because they are just drawn to a certain kind of music. But if you're just making what is coming from you, gut instinct wise and you have lived here all your life it's going it's definitely going to be uh coming through and then i think when i realized that it was happening i started to lean into it a little bit so a lot of the song structures and tones and lyrics for me have been really influenced by um i guess both natural and man-made structures in the in this state and um, that, like, I have a lot of lyrics about different 
like actual storms. <laughs> that, oh, okay. Like there's awesome. one song that's on this album that oh. um do you remember when we had that thing people were basically calling a hurricane? Hurricane here, Green the, Chili. Yes. Yeah, where yeah. the sky yeah. was green and yeah. the trees came up by the roots. Oh my and gosh. Like, All of Hyder Park. I was like actually that night I had a gig and just like I, I loaded my gear into the car and I went and brushed my teeth and I came out and the sky was making this insane sound and the wind is like 9,000 miles an hour. And I stupidly was like, I should still go to the gig. <laughs> so I'm like driving down the street and it's all crazy and there's trees falling down, like really scary. Oh my God. And this dude was, he had a tree branch I in know. his windshield oh and I pulled over to see if he was okay and I was like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm <laughs> I got to this show <laughs> and they were like, the power's out here. Wasn't so it flooded too or something? Oh my god. Yeah, it was at Peace and Justice yeah, yeah, Center. Yeah. Oh they wow. Were like, we were gonna go, we couldn't get there. They were oh like, yeah. The power's out. And um <sighs> Nelson was like, We can do it anyway though. <laughs> and I was like, Nelson. Whoa, really? Nelson's like you. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. Guy. So I just like That's I Nelson was like, Crane I don't we're know, talking Nelson, about. Nelson, I'm gonna go. <laughs> back to my house <laughs> because I think this is only going to get crazier and so I, I went home and like cuddled my dogs and just like listened to the storm and wrote about it and wrote about the aftermath and then try on um, the track that is about this storm this yeah. particular storm in all of our memory um, I really tried to replicate some of the wind sounds using um, combinations of effects in my bass guitar. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we also wrote a song. Uh, Marl wrote the bass line for, and I think I wrote the chorus. Like, I don't remember for Mesa. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's um, it's ba- like the chorus. It's okay to curse on your podcast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the chorus is like Mesa on the Mesa on the Mesa on the motherfucking Mesa, and it was like it's just this like little banger song and um for me it like sounds like and feels like in high school we used to go up there and just like honestly like throw junk at other junk <laughs> like it's like oh it's an old tv like yeah. throw a bottle at the tv throw a bottle at another bottle throw the tv across the washer yeah. i think you just described <laughs> everyone here's adolescence yeah, to some like degree my child <laughs> seriously kick the old mattress like Find a little baseball bat and throw it at the TV. Or Ride a hot car, d- car hood down a sand dune. Like, yes, they did, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, so that song, like, specifically, right. I don't yeah. think it has very many words, and yeah. it is... Uh, yeah, it's on the Mesa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we, it's... Oh, should I not tell this little inside joke? I, you said it sometimes. Baseballs. Oh, yeah. Baseballs. Marl thought the song was about baseballs. I'm always mishearing what the lyrics <laughs> Nice. Oh, I love it. So I want to take a moment here, and yeah. um, I'd like for you guys both to tell me your best Albuquerque story. And why don't we start with Ooh. Marl? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you keep, no, yeah. there. You gave the crime wizard time to think about her stories. And that, my best Albuquerque story, mm-hmm. like, uh... I need time to okay. think. Okay. What, what's uh, okay? Let's 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 go maybe a little easier here. <laughs> favorite thing about Albuquerque? Favorite How about that? Favorite thing about Albuquerque. Um, my favorite thing about Albuquerque. I have to say, I really love the weirdo art community here. The people here, I just uh, I f- this is, I feel uh-huh. like really a part of the gente. I just really like the artists that I've met. They're all just really unusual, interesting. They're all drawn to this place. Mm-hmm. And like, I really, everybody has their own personal history with Albuquerque. And I think that's what I really like. No. Do you yeah. think there's something unique about? Yeah, everybody has their thing of what they like about Albuquerque. That, that I, and I have friends that also hate it here, dislike mm-hmm. it here. But I think cool that, then. yeah, that's a moment like, it's not an easy, it's um, not a hard place to leave, I think. Well, well uh, and then you come back, which is cool because it's yeah. kind of like the great mother, like you can leave, but you can always come back. I think one of my favorite mm-hmm. things about it is just, yeah, it's the people here. They're, it's really, they're unique. They're yeah. off kilter. Okay. Sure. Least favorite thing. Least favorite thing. Um, I don't like that people feel unsafe here i that's that's the least favorite thing um that they're like freaked out about it i uh 
on the flip side of being really scrappy, because that's what I've heard people describe Albuquerque or Albuquerqueans as being like scrappy do. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, my least favorite thing, yeah, is just like the the crime and the depression and all of that in the soup that spoils it. So. Sad. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. But I, I think on the flip side of that, too, there's a lot of beautiful things. So I'm always trying. I'm always, like, rooting yeah. for Albuquerque. I'm like, come on, Albuquerque. You can yeah. do it. <laughs> Maybe we'll have cultivated sufficient cynicism from living with so much crime that we'll be able to handle the, the next chapter like of American history. Since we have the intrepid reporter. <laughs> I don't know why I always call you that. I shouldn't. But you, I feel like you have so much fact. Well, facts and information about Albuquerque. So, well, factually, uh, factually. What's, what's your favorite thing about Albuquerque, Marisa? Uh, well, I don't know how factual it is. <laughs> That's okay. I was going in a, a little more of no, an no, esoteric direction. No, 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 you don't direction. have to do anything um, factual. My favorite thing about Albuquerque, and I guess it's just New Mexico as a whole also, is that, um, you know, like I was born here and have lived here my whole life, and I'm 36 years old, and I've been a reporter for 15 years, and uh and it still feels like it has so many, not like secrets, but there's still like, even though like I, my professional job is to investigate this place, investigate in a, in not in the like hard sense of the word, but in the curiosity sense mm-hmm. of the word, I guess. Um, like the, I, I'm always running across stuff that I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like there's just a million surprises so I feel like honestly like I mean I've been living here thinking about this place uh seriously for so many years and it just I still don't feel like I know it like I don't think you ever hit a point where you just like know it all about this town like or this state yeah. um what's the last thing that surprised you Oh, Michael and Tessa book. We just moved into Duranes, which is actually not too far from where I grew up. But there was a book about the history of that neighborhood and oh, about yeah. how, like, sometimes it used to, like, flood all the way through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are yours. Those little booklets. Yeah, those are great. But it would flood, mm-hmm. like, the Rio Grande would yeah. flood the whole, like, all the way out that far. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was just, like, interesting yeah. to imagine, like, all this, Isn't like, it? flood, flood yeah. area and, like, the whole bunch of water right, right. there. And think about... You know how called Yazoos. Yeah, like you're looking at all these old houses in the neighborhood and stuff, and thinking about it. People boated around where like Duranis Park is now. Uh, Yeah, they used to boat like on my street. Um, yeah. I think there's one like old. Yeah, yeah. There's some pictures of flooded field. Yeah, like yeah. I bet the Albuquerque Museum has more too. They've got great stuff. That, yeah. Or the Center for Southwest Research. So that flip archive. side, then wow. what's uh, what's your least favorite thing about? My least favorite hmm. thing is I feel like in Albuquerque and in New Mexico, we put up with a lot of stuff huh. from government that elsewhere is not. Hmm. Tolerated thing, uh, and I and there's oh been so many God. moments in being a news reporter where I'm like, this in another city or state would like mean that people get fired. Wow, yeah, you know that yeah. you're like you're like They're you're like for getting this. rid right. of yeah. the head of that department, right. and everybody's having to have a reaction uh, to it, and you're asking just, this person what they think about mm. what that is going on and it just doesn't right. shake out like that here. Right. Like we really will tolerate a lot. And and I think it's part of this defeatist attitude where people are like, oh, you know, the government is corrupt. I mean that's just how it is. Yeah. And it's not a like surprise to me. Yeah. Oh. And I can't change it. I mean like I feel like the attitude is like, of course that's what it's like. Like yeah. we've we've accepted this. That's true. And so I think that's my least favorite thing. Oh, it makes me crazy. It makes me totally understand like conspiracy theories because I like just start seeing (laughs) these stories and I'm like, oh God, I'm trying not to connect dots and sound like a guy with like string in his barn or whatever. But oh, where can people find the album? Uh, It's matronrecords.com slash chichara and chichara has two R's in it. So yeah, C H I C H A R R A. Mm -hmm. Okay, and what is the album called? Let's paint this town in craters. All right. Which is a line Morrow wrote. And you guys have a Woo. Facebook page and Facebook, all that Tumblr, stuff. Hear this band. Cam. See this band. Hear this. So album. what I'd like to do, um, it's so if you good. guys are okay with it, I'd like to to play one of your songs uh, as we go out. And is there a particular song that you feel would be best to play the play out? Hmm. What do you think, Morrow Woody? 
play um, Wilderness That Waits, which nice. is yeah, tomorrow okay. jam. So tell me about Wilderness That Waits. What's what's that song about? What's going on there? So it's one of the ones that Marrow brought lyrics for, mm-hmm. and I think it's just super beautiful. And it has the really special Marrow timing. Marrow has this tricky little timing <laughs> that, like, I don't that is inimitable. Nice. Um, and so it has the magic timing, and also uh. Marrow's kind of um, magical lyrics. That's and it's a, it's a little dark, pretty dark. It is content pretty dark. wise. It's pretty. It's like it's a love song and the apocalypse. It's a, long, a, a dark love song. It's not like, oh, we're going to just stare at each other's eyes. It's like, no, we're going to go into the darkness and be swept up by tornadoes and, mm-hmm. and things <laughs> crashing into each other. And uh, I, it was really cool because <laughs> the band interpreted it in this really, it feels like, it feels like a maelstrom. It feels like that word, like, huh. like you're going into the fog and you're saying, cool. It's like the Stephen King's Mist. All these cre- creatures are in there, and you're like, right on. I'm going to go with all the creatures in the fog. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's go into the fog. And um, <laughs> thank you guys so much for, uh, for uh, coming on and talking with great. us. Thank Please you. check out their album. And your band is so great. And any chance you get to see them play live, everyone <laughs> needs to hear this. There's nothing else like it. Remember next week, November 24th.
Well, thanks, uh, as always, to our patrons. Um, if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash cityontheedge and support uh, support people doing work looking into Albuquerque history and telling you all the cool, crazy stories that we find. Yeah. Um, so thanks to Natasha Chisdees, Joshua Hayland, April, Rachel Langer, Lando Enchantment, awesome. Amy Nevitt, Jim Robillard, David Taggart, Christopher Woo. Holden, Jesse Crawford, Ryan oh Schiff, God. Sierra Nets, Ben Tucker, Christopher Suski, Jessamine, uh, Farallim Smith, Amy Gabe, Isaac Clark, Roland Pentela, and Sandra Dodd for your Good support. Yeah, what a Gee, great number of Thank nice. you guys. Of wow. That's really nice. Um, and for the rest of you, we also accept boxes of money left anonymously on our doorstep. Absolutely, yeah, we do. So or buy us a drink next time you see us. Tell the other co-hosts. Uh, of course, <laughs> you support us <laughs> by listening to us and by telling your pals. Yeah. So, thank Seriously. you once again. Tell one person this week. Yeah. Tell, tell two. Two. There's, okay. there's your challenge. She says one. I say what? two. I'm gonna say Go for Brooke. Uh, Whoa! <laughs> Is that even possible? Who even talks to eight people in a week? Never. All right. Thank you guys once again. Thank you. Bye, everyone.